Hey, welcome to the Butterfly Empire. It is me, your Butterfly Queen. And we are here to cover something very, very special. Some of y'all may have heard of it. Some of y'all may have not. And that's okay, because that's why I'm here. I'm here to let you learn all about it. All the little nooks and crannies, and that is okay. So come in and join us on this butterfly empire. Here we go. Welcome to today's story. We will be covering the hauntings at the Velasca Axe Murder House. You know, over a century later, the case is still cold and the spirits still linger. Oh, you guessed it. Sort of a murder mystery, because if there are spirits and ghosts, there's dead people. Hence. Blah, blah, blah. But here we go. When Darwin and Martha Lynn bought a three-bedroom farmhouse at 508 East 2nd Street in Velasca, Iowa, in 1994, they planned to turn it into a historical museum. Almost, you know, dollhouse-like. In its simple layout, the home has the look of many other, you know, cozy farmhouses across the country. The Lynns wanted to revive the home and bring it back to its former glory, a status that came to abrupt halt in 1912. We're on here a little bit. To function as its interactive time capsule and a glimpse into what domestic life was, you know, before the average Midwestern family in the early 20th century. Uh, the now. The walls had more to say, though, and the lens were ready to listen. I, for one, haven't been able to get a good night's sleep ever since I heard the true story behind it. So, listener, beware. Soon after the lens bought the home, they got an influx of requests from some unexpected inquirers, paranormal investigators, who wished to visit the house to commune with the ghost of the deceased victims who once lived there. While the couple hadn't even heard of this profession, they quickly realized the little white Alaska farmhouse, possibly the most familiar-looking house and most familiar-looking town in the country, was haunted. Oh, yes, 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 you heard me correctly, was haunted. And that museum should reflect its deep, dark history. So, listen up, my fellow listeners. We are about to jump on this train. Over a century ago, on one terrible evening in 1912, eight people, yes, you heard me, eight, the home's occupant, Joshua B. Moore, who is 43, and his wife, Sarah Moore, 39, their four children, Herman, 11, Catherine, 10, Arthur, 7, and Paul, 5, and their two young guests, Ina, 8, and Lena Stingler, 12 were murdered in the house in a grisly case that rattled the small town. But bustling town. And then went cold. We all know what makes a case cold. You can't find no suspects. 
You might have all the information in the world, but not enough to actually arrest somebody or look into a suspect. So, some of the most unsettling details about the crime scene, aside from the sheer brutality and tragedy of it, including a hidden attic, a door lock from the inside, and linens covering every window and mirror in the house. And while every suspect and lead eventually turned into a dead end, the story of the Velasquez house didn't actually stop there. The residual hauntings, whether understood as actual experience of the victims of the symbolical trauma of an unsolved tragedy, go on and on and on. The house changed hands a few times over the past 100 years. And the reported ghost encounters just keep accumulating. Things like disembodied giggles and screams, unexplained movements, a strange fog moving from room to room when the train passes through the town at the time of the murders and strange behaviors from visitors that indicated the possible of possessions are just some of the activities that indicate a paranormal presence at the Velasquez murder house. So while what happened there in 1912 makes it a terrifying place to be on its own, ghost or no ghost, it definitely continues to earn its titles as one of the Americans' most haunted houses. Today, the Blaskin Axe Murder House serves as a paranormal hotel where groups of six or fewer can pay 428 to book an overnight in the house. Accommodations are spare. In fact, it's recommended that the guests pack their own sleeping bags. Not that they'll give you getting much sleep, but you know. The owner informed some people that she simply hands the guests the keys when they arrive and then she leaves them alone for the night. But that's the real key, they probably won't be alone. If it is real, as haunting as it's been. Crazy. You know about the owner herself, Martha? She doesn't like to talk about her own ghost sightings in the house as to not color the experience of the guests. She did, however, share this comment with us when multiple people asked her about the house, you know. She has said, I feel like there's something there. If indeed there are spirits, you have to realize that six of them are children. I don't know if the murderers still exist out there, but there have been a few things that have happened that aren't exactly calming. But I don't like to dwell on it. But for anyone who isn't feeling quite as bold, tickets are available for daytime tours for $10 a person. But okay, that part's over. Now, let's actually jump to the murder. You know, the brutal story of how all the axe murderers unfolded over here in Velasca. On June 10th, 1912, the Moore family was sleeping peacefully in their bed. Joe and Sarah Moore were sleeping upstairs while their four children were resting in a room down the hall. In the guest room on the first floor were two girls, the singular sisters, who had come over for a sleepover. Shortly after midnight, a stranger entered through the unlocked door. You know, not an uncommon thing back then. You can leave your doors unlocked, whatnot. Safe, friendly house. And it plucked an oil lamp from the nearby table, rigging it so it burned so low it supplied light for barely one person. On one hand, the stranger held the lamp, 
lighting the way through the house. In his other hand, he held an axe. And during the sleeping girls downstairs, the stranger, stranger, the strangler, reminds me of a SpongeBob episode. <laughs> uh, the stranger made his way up to the stairs, guiding by the lamp and a seamlessly unerring knowledge of the home's layout. Ooh, he knew every little sprung curve and left and right. But anyways, he crept past the room with the children and into Mr. and Mrs. Moore's bedroom. Then he made his way to the children's room and finally back down to the bedroom downstairs. In each room, he committed some of the grisliest murders in American history. Then, as quickly and silently as he arrived, the stranger left, taking keys from the home and locking the door behind him. The Velasca axe murders may have been quick, but as the world was about to discover, they were unimaginably horrifying. The next morning, the neighbors became suspicious, noticing that the usually rambunctious home was dead quiet. They alerted Joe's brother, who arrived to take a look. What he saw after letting himself in with his own key was enough to make him sick. Everyone in the house was dead, all eight of them bludgeoned behind recognition. The police determined that the more parents had been murdered first, and with obvious force the axe that had been used to kill them had been swung so high above the murder's head that it gauged the ceiling above their head. Joe alone had been hit with the axe at least 30 times. The face of both parents as well as the children had been reduced to nothing but a bloody pulp. The states of the bodies wasn't the most concerning part. However, once the police had searched the home, after murdering the Moors, the killer had apparently set up some kind of ritual. He had covered the Moors' parents' head with sheets and the Moors' children' face with clothing. Then he went through each room in the house, covering all the mirrors and windows with cloth and towels. At some point, he took a two-pound piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge. Bacon? You, you heard me. Bacon. Piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge and placed it in the living room, along with a keychain. A bowl of water was found in the home, spirals of blood swirling through it. Police believe that the murderer washed his hands in it before leaving. By the time the police, the coroner, and a minister, and several doctors had thoroughly perused the scene of the crime, word of the vicious crime had spread, and the crowd outside the home had grown. Officers cautioned the townspeople against going unsoiled, but as soon as the premises was cleared, at least a hundred townspeople gave in to their gross fascinations and all through the blood spattered home. One of the townspeople even took a fragment of Joe's skull as a keepsake. Oh, and Kitty wants to say hello. As for the perpetrator of the Velasca axe murderers, the police had shockingly few leads. A few half-hearted efforts to search the town and surroundings countryside were made. The most office officers excuse me, believe that with a roughly five-hour head start that the killer had had, you know, did have 
Yeah, let's go and do that. He would be long gone. Bloodhounds were brought in, but Minosa said that the crime scene had been fully demolished by the townspeople. A few suspects were named over the time, though none of them panned out. The first was Frank Jones, a local businessman who had been in the competition with Joe Moore. Moore had worked for Jones for seven years in the farm equipment sales business before leaving and starting his own rival business. There was also a rumor that Joe was having an affair with Jones' daughter-in-law, though the parts were unfounded. The townspeople insisted, however, that the Moores and the Jones harbored a deep hatred for each other, though no one admits it behind, behind enough to spark the murder, you know. The second suspect seemed far more likely and even more confessed to the murders, though he later recanted, claiming police brutality. Lynn George Jacqueline Kennedy. Wow, that's a name. Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Was an English immigrant. Hmm. Back to the Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly Bob Billy Bob Thornton tries to move from my cousin's family guy. Was an English immigrant who had a history of sexual deviancy and mental problems. He even admitted to being in a town the night of the Alaska Axe murders, admitted that he had left early in the morning, though his small stature and meek personality led some to doubt his involvement. There was certain <laughs> factors police believe made him the perfect candidate. Kelly was left-handed, which police determined from the blood spiders that the killer must have been too. He also had a history with the Moore family, and as many have seen him watching them while at church and out in the town, a dry cleaner in the nearby town had received bloody clothing from Kelly a few days after the murder. He reportedly also asked police for an access to the home after the crime while posing as a Scotland Yard officer. At one point, though, th th listen, at one point, after a long interrogation, he eventually signed a confession tailing the crime. However, he almost immediately recanted, and a jury refused to indict him. The case goes on and on and on. Sorry. The case goes cold, and the Velaskin Axe Murder's house becomes a tourist attraction. Da-da-da! Nobody's ever found any scenarios about it. For calls to murders... Was it a single attack, a part of a larger string of murders? Was it likely to become a local perpetrator or traveling killer, simply passing through towns and taking an opportunity? <sighs> Despite the commonalities, however, no actual connections could be made between this murder and any other max murders, you know, the case eventually ran cold and the house was boarded up. No sale was ever attempted and charges were ever made to the original layout. Now, that the house has become a tourist attraction, it sits at the end of the quiet street as it always has while life goes on around it, undetermined by the horrors that once were committed within.